Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. I can't remember. What am I, what am I talking about today? I can't remember what I'm talking about. What? What? Uh, what? <laughs> money! All right, we're talking about money. Would you agree with me that Americans are drowning in debt? In fact, the national consumer debt, according to debt.org, is $14 trillion as of the third quarter of 2018. Just in California, let's look at some statistics The average credit card debt in California is $5,196. The average credit score is 661. The average mortgage debt is $334,925, which is well above the national average. The average auto loan balance is $18,324. And the student loan debt is almost $29,000. Now think about what people could do with that money rather than being in slavery to the lender. In fact, Proverbs 22.7 says it very clearly. Read it with me. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Have you ever felt like that? Now, the truth is, because we're in a series called that Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than any other subject. You know that? The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer Less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why is that? Because money can be the one thing that holds someone back from truly following Jesus and being a fully devoted follower of Christ. In Matthew 19, we see a story of a rich man who asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And then Jesus said, sell your possessions Give them to the poor. Give them away and follow me. And and what happened? It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So it was his wealth that kept him from following Jesus. So money can be like that. And the truth heals all kinds of problems, including money problems. But the question is, are you ready to hear the truth? Can you handle the truth? Because... Even if you can't, Jesus is the truth, and he has a handle on all your problems if you're willing to believe him and believe his word. So how to overcome financial problems? Number one, you got to trust God, because this isn't about money, right? I mean, when you really boil it down, it's about trust. How much do I trust God with whatever part of my life, my kids, my marriage, my money? It's all the same. It's whether you trust him. And Proverbs 3 is a very famous verse. I'll read this with me. Trust in the Lord. Now stop. What does it say? Trust in money or trust in another person? No. Trust in the Lord. Okay. Go on. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. That word acknowledge can mean a lot of different things, but it's really about submission because it boils down, how much do I trust God with my life? 
And my life includes a lot of things. My thoughts, my feelings, my relationships, and my money. So do I trust God to meet my needs? That's the question. Now, what's written on our money? It says, in God we trust. Not in money we trust, but we would think that's how we operate, right? It says, in God we trust. But why do we not trust God with our money? Maybe money to some people is an idol. An idol is anything that replaces God on the throne. And what's the number one commandment out of the ten? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, why would God say that? Because he wants you to have a boring life and to be a killjoy? No, he wants to protect you from worshiping idols. Because idols let you down. Money will let you down. Everything lets you down except for Jesus. In Mark 12, it's interesting, the Pharisees came to test Jesus. They show him a coin, they say, Hey, should we pay the tax to the Roman government? Because remember, they were under the authority of the Roman government, and they were giving God's money to Rome. They were trying to test Jesus. So Jesus says, let me see that coin. Whose image is on it? They say whose? Caesar's. So look at Jesus' answer. It's amazing. Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. See, we forget, we give to, we pay our taxes, but we don't give to God what is his. And that's problematic. When you give to God what is God's, that's how you resist idolatry. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God owns everything? Do you believe it all belongs to God? Well, we know this. All over the Bible, it says this. First Chronicles 29 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for what? Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Everything you have, even your next breath, is from God. And until we can get to that point, we won't give God our entire life. Needless to say, our money. Matthew 6, 33. Read that with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So whose kingdom is it? God's kingdom. So it's saying, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That means to pursue fully and submit my life to him. And all these things, what are all these things? Everything you need. In fact, the whole Matthew 6 is about worry and anxiety and do not worry about tomorrow and do not worry about what you wear and what you eat. So basically, it's if you put God first and you seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, you won't have anything to worry about. Because you realize God's in control and he's got it all covered. Your food, your shelter, your clothing, everything will be taken care of. Matthew 6, 21. Read that one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? Is it in the stock market? Is it in your assets? In your equity? In your home? In your bank account? Those are things of the world. Where should your treasure be? In heaven, God's kingdom, right? 
what is the entity on earth that expresses the kingdom of God and where God's kingdom, where God lives? What is that called? The church. So when you pray for your church, when you give to your church, your heart will be there. That's what that's saying. And Luke 16, 11, read that with me. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now in the original text, true riches, that word riches isn't in there. They added it. So it could say, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the truth? In other words, we have the truth, right? Who's the truth? Jesus, right? He says the truth will set you free. But if we can't handle even worldly things, how can we handle the truth? Warren Worsby says we cannot be orthodox in our theology and at the same time heretical in the way we use money. It's the truth. Now think about this. What if every day you had to hand over a profit and loss statement to God? Would that change how you handle his money? Well, guess what? This is not a condemnation because we're not condemned in Christ, but he does know how we handle our money. And one day we will stand before him, and Jesus said we will be judged not in salvation because we're saved in Christ, but we'll be judged on how we handle the things he gave us for this earth because it doesn't belong to us. How many people wake up every morning and go through the day thinking that this is not mine? Not many. We go, oh, this is mine, and, you know, I'm going to do with what I want. I think about this church and the money that you give for the ministry of this church. That's probably one of the things I take most seriously is how we handle that money. Because that's not mine. It's God's money. But in your family, it's the same thing. It's not yours. It's God's money. In Hebrews 13, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Everybody says root of evil is money. No, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you nor will I forsake you. So it's about trusting. How much do I trust God that he's going to take care of me? That's the question. 1 Timothy 6-7 says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it. Is that true? We have always heard this, right? You don't see a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the funeral. It's not yours. And it doesn't go with you there. What goes with you there is what, how you worked with God's money in regards to his kingdom. That's what goes there. As we go through these things today, I want to encourage you. Where am I? You know, where am I? And many of you, praise God, you're faithful. And that's awesome. But maybe we have a little room for growth in understanding this. Next, dissolve debt. With regards to being a follower of Christ, debt is one of the greatest hindrances. Why? Because it holds us back from truly following Christ. What if when God said to Abraham, follow me, leave everything behind, follow me, and take to a land I'm going to show you, you don't even know where it is. And then Abraham said, let me sell my house, I got some things in my barn over there. I got to get rid of those things. He wouldn't be able to. And a lot of times we are in debt to the lender and we can't be in debt to Christ. When Deborah and I got married, I had some debt. 
and we paid it off. And we've been married 27 years by God's grace, and we've stayed debt-free. Now, how do we do that? How does anyone do that? What's the key to being debt-free? Spend less than you earn. Well, again, Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So how can I be a slave or a servant of Christ if I'm a servant to the bank? Right? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't love God and money. One's going to take over. So can you see how debt can be a hindrance? Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, which is a lot of what we do because it's an integrity issue, but the righteous give generously. So how can I give generously if I have a lot of debt? I can't. So do you see how debt can be a hindrance to following Christ. Now, God also speaks of this kind of debt. In Proverbs 22, 26 to 27, it says, Do not be among those who give pledges, is speaking of co-signing, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why would he take your bed from under you or your furniture? So you shouldn't be in debt yourself, and you shouldn't take over someone else's debt. That's not wise. A lot of people co-sign on things, and they're taking responsibility for someone else's debt. Proverbs 6, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Proverbs chapter 6, it speaks about this subject in verses 1 through 5. It says, My son, if you have become surety or a co-signer for your neighbor, a lot of this is about high-interest debt. And you've given a pledge to a stranger. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the word of your mouth. You haven't been wise. Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyes. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So free yourself from this debt. And then the next few verses talk about saving. Go to the ant, O slugger, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision. And even the ants save money, save their provision. You know, Jesus said, look at the birds in the air and you can learn. They're not worrying and they're not in debt. And the ants actually save for the future. So Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So maybe you need counsel in this area. And I would highly advise that you get some. And for a great way to do it, visit this website, crown.org. It's Crown Ministries, but the website is crown.org. You can go on there and you can get a lot of resources. You can find counselors in your area to help you. Look, it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but you need to listen to counsel. But what's the best counsel? The Word of God. And we're going through that. So don't just dismiss it, oh yeah, I'll get help, but you're getting help now. But you might need help to stay accountable, okay? Now, the most effective way to experience true freedom from financial problems is to give faithfully. Give faithfully. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and as you know, Pastor Sam always says, that word can mean hilarious, and it can also mean joyful, joyful. 
I don't know about you, but here's the problem with each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's a very subjective thing, right? Because if it's up to me to decide, I choose the lesser, right? Because I'm a sinner, fall short of the glory of God, right? So I'm never going to go, oh yeah, I'm going to go for the higher number. And I won't even give that cheerfully because it will seem that it's under compulsion. Oh, I got to give. So here's the thing. This is why the Bible gives guidelines. We all need guidelines, right? Like, don't step on the grass. Cliff ahead. Don't stand near the cliff and take selfies. These kind of things are guidelines. When the Bible says, forgive each other or one another as Christ has forgiven you, and I'm really ticked that somebody did something to me, but I choose to believe God, so I forgive. Is it a joyful experience at first? No. Am I cheerfully forgiving them? Probably not. But over time, I can feel better. I'm going, wow, I feel more joyful because I'm not in the prison of unforgiveness. Or how about when God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't make sense because I figured it out, Lord, my whole life. I know what's right and wrong because I figured it out. But then I come to the point, okay, I don't figure it out because I suck at that. And I'm going to follow you, Lord. Is it a joyful experience at first? No, but then down the road, you can go, I'm so glad I trusted the Lord in that because I'm much more joyful and much more cheerful. How about humble yourself before the Lord? I don't want to be humble. It's about me. Don't you know that? Don't you know how great I am, Lord? And then you get to the point, yeah, I'm not great. So, Lord, you're great. So I humble myself before you. Is it a cheerful thing at first to humble yourself? No. But over time, you go, I'm so glad I humbled myself. I feel so much more cheerful and so much more joyful because I follow the guidelines. They're called commandments. So when God says, give a portion of your money, at first, you're like, that's not very cheerful. It's my money. And then you get to the point, okay, it's not my money, but I still need that, and I don't trust you, God. I know you say you'll take care of the birds, but I don't think you'll take care of me, so i got to hoard a little bit. But then when you get to the point where you trust him and you give the portion that's his, you are cheerful and nor joyful. You see how it works? It's not, oh, I'm just love giving. Some people do. Praise God. But you have to work your way into loving to give. That's how you become cheerful and joyful. Right? Every command is that way. There is one edict with regards to when and how often I should give. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. It says, Paul writes, on the first day of each week, what's that? Sunday, every week regularly, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. I I think Paul said, don't wait till I get there. You know, like father knows best kind of thing. But let's put this in perspective first. A lot of people look at this and they say, okay, what is he talking about? A portion of the money. Well, here's what was going on. Paul was speaking here of a specific special offering for the Jerusalem church because they were struggling. So Paul was exhorting the church in Corinth and all the other churches, 
hey, I'm coming to collect an offering for the Jerusalem church. So put aside every Sunday, put aside extra above and beyond what you normally give for them. He's not speaking here about what they would normally give to their own church, but he is saying the regularity of it is important because the church in Corinth, the church at the gate, every local church has bills and they usually are on a monthly basis. And I've never had luck with calling the landlord or anyone else saying, hey, you know, we're a church, so can we have a month off? I never had luck with that. You know, it's like your house. You know, if you don't pay your mortgage, you're not going to go, oh, you know, I just didn't have the money. Okay, well, you know, we'll give you three months, and then we're going to take your house away. Do you see? Because we're a family. You have your family, and then we're a family. So he said, put aside a portion of the money you've earned is not with regards to the regular giving. It was an extra giving. So like an extra campaign, like, you know, if we have a building campaign or a, any kind of extra thing, we can't give to that and then not give to the regular giving because we still have bills. That's extra. That's how those things work. Because I don't know if you understand. I think you do, but I, I don't know. A ministry costs money. Everything we do costs money on this earth. That's just the way it is. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. Now, the Bible says the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Do you know that? And I've prayed this, Lord, please sell some of the cattle. We need some of that money. But here's the problem with that. Some of the cattle is on your land. And God wants to sell your cattle. He wants you to sell your cattle to take care of the church, to take care of the ministry, to take care of God's house. You get that? Luke 6.38 says, Given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, put in your lap, so that's you're getting recompensed for your giving. For with that, the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, in all fairness, this passage is dealing with mercy. So he's saying, give mercy to other people. But it is also having to do with reaping what you sow. Acts 20.35 says, In everything... I showed you, Paul saying that, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, and read it with me, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, since you excel in so many ways, and he's speaking to the church in Corinth, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. So that's kind of the overview. Now we're going to spend a little time going through Malachi. Some people think this way. You know, I give other ways. I serve, I pray, I give my time. That's awesome. But time doesn't pay the bills. So this is about money. And it's learning how to give a portion of your income with regards to how it was set up in the temple. God instituted a system of giving for Israel and subsequently the church. This involves giving back a portion of your income. And my portion is a tithe. What's a tithe? A tenth part. And it's the first tenth part. Now, context. Israel came to a tipping point. They had returned to Jerusalem and were starting to get their lives back together. They were in exile, remember, and then they came back. But for a long time, they had rejected God's edicts. God's commands. So the entire nation suffered. And the priests 
who were supposed to be working in the temple had to take on other jobs to support their families because the people weren't giving what they were supposed to give, and then the whole nation suffered. So God does what he always does. He sends a prophet. His name's Malachi. To speak to Israel, when the prophet speaks, when the word of God speaks, he gives us the way to fix the problem, but we have to employ that. Okay, so Malachi 3.10, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. The whole tithe meant what? The whole tithe. (laughs) People weren't giving the whole tithe. Some people were giving a fifth, 5%. Maybe people weren't giving anything or like 1%. The storehouse is the temple warehouse where they stored everything for the temple, the grain, oil, everything that was needed to run the worship service and also was for the whole nation, uh, resources for the whole nation. The food was the provision for the priests because they were vocational ministers They were paid by the people from the tithes. And then my house, what is when God says in my house, is the temple. So today we would look at this because Israel was a community. Israel was a nation. Israel was a family. And it's the same thing with the church. So we have our own families, but then we have a bigger family and we gather together as a local family in certain places. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Because this is the problem. First of all, God doesn't need your money. Okay, you understand that? Because it's not about money. It's about our heart. But secondly, does God deserve leftovers? It's like, after I pay everybody else, then I'll get to you kind of thing. So he wants us to give the first part, which is the best part. Leviticus 27.30 says, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 14.23, Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil. That was the way they paid for things. And the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. And then this is the purpose of tithing in this sentence. Doing this will, read it, teach you always to fear the Lord your God. That's the purpose for tithing. It's the purpose for every command. Now, we have to deal with the question as to whether tithing is still applicable to the New Testament believer. Because if tithing is still applicable to the New Testament believer, then why aren't the sacrificial offerings applicable? Why isn't stoning people to death applicable? Why are the Sabbath regulations not applicable? Why is sanctioned clothing not applicable? And all the other laws of Israel and the nation. In fact, Jesus tells us, that all these things are fulfilled in him. He says, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. So why is tithing still kind of left over from that? That's a valid question, right? Because there's two sides to the camp, all right? Every other debatable issue, this is not a salvation issue. This is not like something that if you don't agree then you're going to go to hell. But I do want to present an argument for it. 
And then I want to challenge you, if you don't agree with that, to present an argument against it. That's fair. Now, let me just say this. No one who tithes, I've never heard them say they don't believe in tithing. And then vice versa, a person who doesn't tithe says that tithing is for back then. That's what they say. So if you're already tithing, then you get it. And you've seen God's blessing in your life. But if you're not tithing, that's the argument. That's for back then. So who's right? The answer boils down to how you see the covenants working throughout the Bible. We have the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant was the one given through Moses to Israel. And that's where all the Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all those laws are. Then you have the new covenant, which we're under the new covenant, right? Thank God. Paid by the blood of Christ. That's what we're not under God's wrath. We're under his grace. Thank God for that, right? Take a deep breath, because if it weren't, we'd all be stoned to death. But let me ask you this. The Noahic covenant, is that still applicable? The covenant made to Noah. Parts of it, yes. Which part? I will not judge the earth by a flood. Now, he doesn't say he's not going to judge the earth, because the earth will be judged, but it won't be by a flood. How about the Abrahamic covenant? Is that one still applicable? If you went through the Genesis series, you would know that the answer to that, right? We have the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then the new covenant. Abraham, way back then, was before Moses, and his covenant with God was not up to his obedience. It was by faith, grace, God's grace. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So that's that type of covenant. The Mosaic covenant was more of what I call a bilateral covenant. It's like God says, I'll do this if you do this. You'll get in the land if you believe. And they screwed up badly. But Jesus comes and says that the Mosaic law is fulfilled. Where's the Abrahamic covenant? Why is that still active? Well, read the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Galatians 4. Romans 6, it's all about future events that still have to happen. And in fact, the Bible says that we are as the same faith as Abraham. Romans 4 says, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be granted to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So who is the father of us all, Moses or Abraham? Abraham. So since Abraham is our spiritual father, one would think that emulating his faith would be appropriate. Real quick, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I think this passage is really important to understanding the concept of Abraham and the tithe. Because Abraham tithed, do you remember who he tithed to? Melchizedek, right? In fact, it says, for this Melchizedek, and he's referring back to Genesis 14. This all happened there. King of Salem, which... Shalom, Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the king and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything to this priest, who was the king of Salem, which means peace, so he's the king of peace. And this king of Salem didn't have a father or a mother without genealogy. He didn't have beginning of days. He was made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. So Melchizedek is actually a precursor to Jesus. So basically, Abraham was 
tithing to the high priest, which is what we do. We tithe to the high priest. Who's our high priest? And then Jesus distributes it according to his plan and grace. But it is an act of faith on our part. And it goes on. You can read it later. But the whole thing there talks about how Abraham tithed. I want to just challenge you that if you're going to come with an argument against tithing, you have to show where Abraham's faith and the way he lived doesn't apply to us. So tithing was way before Moses. So you can't say, oh, well, all the Old Testament law, yeah, that's all fulfilled in Christ, but tithing was before that. You see that? And we're tied to Abraham, who's our father. And some people say, oh, well, Jesus never talked of tithing. Well, actually, he did. Luke eleven forty two. he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay the tithe and these things, but you don't love. So he's saying, basically, you should tithe, but you need to love other people, too. Just real quick, there's a great book called uh, Four Perspectives on Tithing, or Four Views on Tithing, by, was edited by David Crotu. And I just want to read some statistics. This was 2011. But it says the old rule in churches was that 20% give 80%, but that has changed to less than 10% giving 75% of any church's funds. The implications are that for any church to continue operating, let alone be responsive to God's leading, it will need to depend on a very small group of aging members. That's true. It says 97% of pastors feel people's income has increased but tithing 10% has remained unchanged. 30 to 50% of church giving records are blank at the year end. That's sad. The result is that 93% or more of Christians are not giving 10%, much less generously giving more. Let's say that you're still decided that tithing theologic is not for New Testament believers. So here's my question. What is the portion to give? Is it 100%? It would really be. Does God just want a part of our life? He wants our whole life. But the way he chose to do this was to give a portion. And don't count on yourself to figure that out because you're going to go 2% or you're not even going to know what percent. We have to have guidelines and edicts, and this is one of them. And I challenge you that when you start obeying God in this, you will really experience joy and freedom from that bondage of financial oppression. Because you'll be storing up treasures in heaven and you stand for the Lord. Lord, I gave what I was supposed to give and more. Do you know that over the years I've been in ministry, 26 years, we've been in all these different churches and they do these extra things like building campaigns. And we gave to those buildings, but we're not enjoying it. But it's not about us. We help build Saddleback. We help build Fellowship of the Woodlands in Texas, which is like a 25,000 member church all over TV. We helped build a church in Monterey and talk about expensive land. And down here, land is also expensive. That's why when everybody doesn't give the portion, that beginning portion, how can we get more to get other things like land? Next, when I don't give my portion, I'm robbing from God. Malachi the prophet says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation. He's not saying you're cursed because I'm cursing you. You're cursed because you're not doing what I say. And that could be any command, any edict. And then finally, when I faithfully give my portion, I will be blessed. And this is a promise from God. 
Do you believe God keeps his promise? Then you've got to believe this promise. He says, test me now on this. Test me on tithing. But we test God on everything else, and we don't test him on this. Test him on tithing, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And it might not be money. It could be. But it's going to be a blessing, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be joyful, and you're going to be cheerful because you're doing what God wants you to do with the money he let you borrow. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. And we give to our high priest, as Israel did. We give to our high priest, and then he distributes it from the storehouse, which I pray would be so full. This is about God wanting to bless you. He wants to bless you and pour out so many blessings on you. And the biggest hindrance in following Christ is money. How much do you trust God is the question. And don't leave it up to yourself to decide what the portion is. But if you do, go 20%. Go 50%. Test God. Don't go one or zero. Make sense? Lord Jesus, thank you that we can... Come today and be reminded of the blessings that you have for each person. We don't obey so that we're blessed, but when we obey, we're blessed. And we don't give cheerfully all the time, but when we give, we become cheerful. That's how it works. Jesus gave everything. And he said, for the joy set before him, the joy beyond the cross, that's why he went to the cross because he knew it would pay off. And Lord, I pray you'd fill this church's storehouse with a lot of resources because we have a big vision. The cattle is on your hills, but it's also on our hill. And so I pray that we would use that cattle and that money faithfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be his voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Make me-